Amen. God has been faithful, and I celebrate the fact that we have a reason to celebrate his faithfulness to us. Uh, it's exciting to see people worship and to just know when uh, God has redeemed us that we have a reason to celebrate, and I get excited about that. Well, it's officially here. I know some of you are really excited about it. Maybe some of you are not. For most of us, this past weekend kicked off the beginning of the holiday season. <clears throat> I realize that this means different things for different people. Some of us have mistaken the 12 days of Christmas for the 60 days of Christmas ahead of time, and the holiday tunes are already out there on your radio. Others see November 1st as the official time to pull out your pilgrim outfit and all of the other stuff that goes along with the Thanksgiving season. Either way, the season is clearly upon us. But even the season itself means different things. To some, it's about family, shopping, remembering back to our childhood years, days off from school or from work, or maybe just eating. Speaking of eating and family, for some, the holidays are the one time of year that families will come together. Now, I know that some of y'all will get excited about that. It's that idea that Company's coming, and you're excited. This is a great thing. We miss our family when we're away from each other, and we love to cook for all of those people. And I want everyone to see my decorations that I've put up at my house and all of the other stuff that comes with the holidays. But then some of you, the moment I said company's coming, you started to have a panic attack this morning. The mere thought of all those people coming to your house causes great anxiety. Company's coming, but we look at it like, oh, great. There's so much that needs to be done. This house is such a mess, and how many people will I have to cook for this year? And here's the winner. My mother-in-law's coming this year. By the way, I love my mother-in-law, and she'd be welcome to come. So I'm talking about that's you guys' issue, not mine. So... Well, I want to talk to you this morning about the fact that company is coming, but I'm not talking about coming for the holidays. I'm talking about the fact that we are not alone as children of God. We have company and we are in good company. We can count on the fact that we can stand and should stand together with those who are in Christ. And I'm talking about the fact that God himself desires to show up and to work in our midst. I want to start this morning by reading our key passage. I read it to you earlier. It comes from Acts chapter 2, verse 38 through 44. Now, for the last month or so, I've been reading this passage, but an abbreviated section of it. We've read one or two verses each time, but I want you to see it in its greater context this morning. So if you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 44. It's right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. Uh, and then this is what it says, chapter 2, beginning in verse 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. 
With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Now, the first thing that I want us to see this morning is uh, the fact that there is a clear recipe for us to receive God's forgiveness. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Know that salvation is a free gift from God, but it is a gift that requires action. You've heard me say this before, but repentance is about much more than just confessing that you are a sinner. It is about turning away from the sin that has slaved, enslaved you prior to Christ. It is not my place to judge, but I can speak logically. Logic says that if your salvation, the salvation that you have already experienced, if your salvation is associated with repentance, then change will take place. You cannot continue to live the same life that you did prior to coming to Christ. In other words, if you are still walking in the same sin that you had prior to Christ, if you've experienced no transformation, you are the same person you were back then, then the odds are that whatever salvation you received, it did not come from God. Now, I understand that is a very harsh statement because some of us have lived in such a way believing that we were saved because we said some prayer, but the 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 method to salvation is here. Repent and be baptized. That means turn away. Don't keep doing the same things you did before. You still need Jesus Christ, but you can't live the same way you did before. God's salvation includes a genuine turning away from our sinful choices. So let me start with this challenge, this is even before I get into the real message that I have for you this morning, but it puts us on common ground. If you are still living in your sin, it is time to repent. I'm not just talking about saying a prayer. I'm talking about choosing that from this day forward, you will not walk the same path that you have walked before. Right now, confess to the Lord where you have fallen short of that and make a choice to turn away. Choose to no longer be identified or defeated by your sin. Lay your sins at the cross of Christ and choose to go back to that lifestyle. So I told you I want us to start on common ground. I want, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, we thank you for your incredible grace. We thank you that you offer us forgiveness, even though we do not deserve it. But we confess right now that we have foolishly allowed sin to remain in us. We've talked about change, but we're still doing the same things. We need
need your help. Not only do we seek forgiveness, but we also ask you to give us the strength to walk away from these sins that have dominated our lives. Give us freedom and victory, not only now in this moment, but for a lifetime to come. Fill us with your spirit and have your way in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I believe today that God's saving grace is extended to every single one of us. Just as on this particular day, there were thousands in attendance. Peter doesn't ask, you know, let me interview each of you first to determine whether or not you are worthy of salvation. He doesn't ask them to list all of their accomplishments, all of their goodness. He simply says, all of you, everyone, must repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, let's talk about company for a minute. According to our passage, the call to repent and be baptized is not just for some of the people in the crowd. Peter says, every one of you. That means that the problem wasn't just a few. There weren't some that were good, and therefore they didn't need this issue of salvation and forgiveness as a result of repentance. None of them were worthy of it, but all of them are offered this salvation. Because of the fact that there are about 3,000 that will receive this grace on that day, They are immediately in the midst of good company. Nobody is better than another because they all recognize that the wages of sin is death. And all of them had that same penalty coming their way. Yet now they have all received forgiveness. They are all sinners, but they have all been redeemed, not by good works, but by God's grace. Now apply that to the same people sitting around you this morning. You are in good company. Every person in this room was a sinner. But if they have repented of their sin, then they are forgiven. They're no longer going to be punished for the sin of their past. God will not hold that against them. But they are no better or worse than you. Whether your sin was great or small, it is the same before God. Without repentance, it still would have led to death. But with repentance, it is forgiven. We should rejoice over the fellowship that we have with one another. We're in good company, and it's a great place for us to stay. But there's another type of fellowship that is talked about in this passage. And this is the fellowship that truly changes everything. It is not necessarily the fellowship that we have with our brothers and sisters here, but rather the fellowship that we have with God. These people had been together before. The believers had been together before. The crowd of people had come together recently, in fact, for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It was likely that many of the people who were here on this day of Pentecost, as Acts 2 is recording, many of those same people were there crying out, crucify him, crucify him. They had been together before. But something different happens when God shows up on this day. Now, it should be noted that the disciples had received a heads up regarding God showing up. Jesus spoke to them in Luke chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 24, verse 49, saying, I am going to send you what my Father has promised. 
But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. God himself will show up. He will fill you with his Holy Spirit. So be patient and wait for it. In fact, Jesus reminds him of this again in Acts 1.4. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. If Jesus repeated it, you can rest assured that it was pretty significant. This Holy Spirit would serve multiple purposes in the life of the church and in of the individuals who made up the church. One of the first things that I think about when I think of the role of the Holy Spirit is to remind us. Jesus told his disciples that the Holy Spirit would remind them of all the things that Jesus had taught and done. In a world where everyone is basically free to determine what is right and wrong, we need the Holy Spirit to remind us of what Jesus has already taught us about being right and wrong. And closely associated with this idea of reminding is the issue of conviction. The Holy Spirit shows up and the people are convicted of their sin. Think back to Acts chapter 2 again, the passage where we're starting. First of all, understand this is an incredible day. The Holy Spirit shows up and I'm going to tell you, the Holy Spirit does some amazing things. We're told that when the Holy Spirit shows up, there is the sound of what it sounds like a mighty rushing wind. We're told that the whole place was shaken. It was such an incredible event that crowds of people began to gather around to see what this thing was. That's where this great evangelistic opportunity originated from to begin with. But on this particular day, when the crowd gathers, Peter begins to speak. But he speaks to them with a bold and incredibly confident message. Then in Acts 2, verse 37, we read the people's response. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Aren't these the same people who had seen Jesus? who had likely cried out, crucify him? Aren't these the same people that Peter had been afraid of the night of Jesus' arrest? Absolutely, they were. But the Holy Spirit convicts them of their sin. In fact, we're told that about 3,000 were added to their number that day, convicted, repented, and baptized. Wow, what a day that must have been. How would you like it if the Holy Spirit showed up and conviction came over every individual in this room and even a few dozen people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ today? I hope you know that he still desires to do that. In fact, I want you to watch just a humorous, brief video of what that might look like. Well, when I was a kid, I'd take a trip every summer. 
down to Mississippi, visit my granny and her antebellum world. I'd run barefooted all day long, climbing trees free as song. One day, I happened to catch myself a squirrel. Well, I stuffed him down in an old shoebox and punched a couple holes in the top. When Sunday came, I snuck him into church. I sat way back in the very last pew, showing him to my good buddy Hugh. When that squirrel got loose, went totally berserk. But what happened next is hard to tell. Some thought it was heaven, thought it was hell. But the fact that something was among us was plain to see. As the choir sang, I surrender all, the squirrel ran up hard, Newland's coveralls, and hard leaped to his feet and said, Something's got a hold on me! Yeah! The, the, the squirrel went berserk in the verse of righteous church in a stupid little town of Pascagoula. It was a fight for survival that broke out in revival. They were jumping pews and shouting, Hallelujah! Some thought he had religion, others thought he had a demon. Hard thought he had a weed eater loose and screwed the moon. <laughs> he fell to his knees to plead and beg, and that squirrel ran out of his breeches leg, unobserved, to the other side of the room. All the way down to the Amen pew, where sat Sister Bertha better than you, who'd been watching all the commotion with sadistic glee. Should have seen that look in her eyes when that squirrel jumped her garters and crossed her thighs. She jumped to her feet and said, Lord, have mercy on me. As that squirrel made laps inside her dress, she began to cry and then to confess to sin and make a sailor blush to shame. She told of gossip and church dissension, but the thing that got the most attention is when she talked about her love life. And then she started naming names the day the squirrel went berserk in the first self-righteous church. In that sleepy little town of Pascagoula It was a fight for survival That broke out in revival They were jumping pews and shouting hallelujah Well, seven deacons and a pastor got saved And $25,000 was raised And 50 volunteered for missions in the Congo on the spot And even without an invitation There were at least 500 rededications And we all got rebaptized whether we needed it or not now you've heard the Bible story, I guess, how he parted the waters for Moses to pass. Oh, the miracles God has wrought in this old world. But the one I'll remember till my dying day is how he put that church back on the narrow way with a half-crazed Mississippi squirrel. The day the squirrel went berserk in the first self-righteous church in that sleepy little town of Pascagoula. It was a fight for survival that broke out All right, so I, I know that that is a funny song and video, but know that there is nothing funny about the Holy Spirit showing up and changing the lives of normal people, and know that God can do it and He desires to do it today. Well, accompanying the conviction of the Holy Spirit was something else. It was the power of God to perform miracles. And by the way, this didn't start with the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Even Jesus demonstrated great power. And it was a power that served as confirmation 
that what was going on was truly of God. How many times did Jesus approach a town only to have people carrying their sick to him so that he might lay hands on them and heal them? How many times was Jesus interrupted by one who had leprosy or one who was lame or perhaps even one who had a loved one that had died? I think of the man who had been lowered down on the mat in front of Jesus. He was preaching in a house and the room was filled wall to wall with people. And the only way his friends could think of getting close enough to Jesus was to climb up on the roof, cut a hole in the roof, and then lower their friend down in front of Jesus. As Jesus addresses this interruption, he begins by saying, Son, your sins are forgiven. And of course, the crowd grows a little bit restless at that statement. Who does he think he is? Doesn't he know that only God himself can forgive sins? Well, Jesus knows exactly what they're thinking. So Jesus then asks them a question, which is easier? For me to say to this man that his sins are forgiven or for me to tell him to get up and walk? This guy is paralyzed. If you say that his sins are forgiven, there's no way to prove it. There's no way to disprove it. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But if you tell him to get up and walk and then it doesn't happen then everybody in this room knows that you're a fraud. Then Jesus says, so that you might believe and know that I have the authority to forgive sins, I say to you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Suddenly this guy gets up, he's healthy, and he's whole. We're told that he takes his mat and he goes home. I think he stopped. He might have danced just a little bit. He might have tried to clear the room a little bit just so he could move around and enjoy the use of his legs because he had never been able to do it before. I imagine he stopped, he ran and gave Jesus a big hug just to let him know how much he appreciated him. But everybody in that room knew on that occasion that this Jesus who declared forgiveness of sins was truly of God. The miracle-working power of God served to confirm that Jesus was who he said he was. Well, God would use his miraculous powers among the church leaders, early church leaders as well. According to verse 43 of today's passage, it says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And then it's echoed in Acts chapter 5, verse 12, which says the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. And then as the New Testament church struggled over the inclusion of Gentiles, remember this faith was primarily for the Jews, at least in the early stages. It was the powerful, miraculous works of God that served to confirm even to them that this was of God, that the Gentiles were included in this promise. We read in Acts 15, 12 that the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. But again... This shouldn't have come as a surprise to the early church. 
Remember that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit was to remind us of what Jesus had said and done. What did Jesus say about these miraculous works? In John 14, 12, Jesus is speaking and he says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now the question for me isn't whether God was able to fulfill the promises of miracles in the New Testament church. I believe that as we have it here in the scriptures, that is exactly what happened. As the apostles did the work, they spoke the truth that God had given them. God used them not because of It wasn't a random thing. God chose these people to pour into their lives. God used this to confirm the work that was taking place. In the book of Acts, just for clarity's sake, I went through this week. I counted at least 23 supernatural miracles just in the book of Acts, not including the ones that you might look at and say, well, maybe that was just chance, just random that it happened at that point. We're talking about healings, resurrections, all kinds of other stuff. My question is not whether God could do it then, but whether the same miraculous power is still available to the church today. Now, we all know that the answer to that question is supposed to be yes, absolutely. But then I wonder, if this power is still available today, why do we not see more miracles take place? Have we become the church that Paul talked about that took on a form of godliness but denied its power? I received a letter this week from an inmate at Perry Correctional Institute. It is a facility where basically these individuals, almost every one of them is there on a life sentence. Uh, We took a group, I guess it was about a year or so ago, and did a service there. I got to joke about them being a captive audience when I spoke. They literally were a captive audience. This inmate talked about his faith, and then he said this. He said, however, I must also say up front that I am no longer a Christian. I have converted to deism a couple of months ago. Because of, among other things, the lack of miracles in my life and the lives of others. In addition to not being able to hear the audible voice of God. Now I know that there are many other elements to how I need to respond to this individual. But I fear that for many in the church and in Christianity, that Christianity itself has truly morphed into something that is powerless and void of God's miraculous work. Let me suggest to you that God still desires to do the miraculous here today. This promise that we would do even greater things is significant, especially considering the things that Jesus had done. Remember, he's the one who calmed storms. He's the one who rose the dead. He is the one who multiplied food so that thousands could eat off of one boy's lunch. How much greater could it really be? But that is the promise that God gave. 
let me just say that I have seen it firsthand. I've shared with you before, but we had a young man in our church in Pennsylvania, foolishly working on his truck one day, and as he worked on his truck, he had it jacked up in the front yard. He had crawled up underneath it to be able to pull the brakes off, and when he did, the jack shifted and the truck fell on him, landed on his knee, actually just above the knee, took seven individuals to lift the vehicle off of him while another individual dragged him out. They airlifted him to a local hospital, Christiana Hospital, and when I got there, it was just me and a few individuals from the church. The doctors and the nurses had come in already. They had looked at him, and they were trying to figure out whether they were going to have to take the leg at the knee or have to go all the way up to the hip. We began to pray and ask God to perform a miracle. A few minutes later, the nurse walks in, and she said, uh, excuse me, sir, how, how tall are you? And he answered her, and I turned to the nurse, and I said, ma'am, if you're about to cut off his leg, what difference does it make how tall he is? She said, I can't explain it, but we just did x-rays, and we can't find a single thing wrong with this young man's leg. That man walked out of that hospital. She wanted to fit him for crutches. He used crutches for about four hours and never used them again. He is serving in the United States military station in Florida today. That is the miracle power of God. We had an individual in our church who, she attended our church and had a nephew who was going through a disease called amyloidosis. It is not cancer, but it acts like cancer. The doctors have given him basically less than two weeks to live. They had told me he needed to get his affairs in order. Liz came to me and said, hey, can you go visit my nephew? He's not going to make it. Can you go and just pray with him? I showed up to Rick's house. Rick and his wife are there, and they have informed me afterwards that they almost canceled that day because he just didn't feel up to it, but he didn't know that he would have another opportunity to do it. I sat with them in the living room of their house, and as we spent time together, I shared with them first the plan of salvation. I shared with them that I believe God is able to heal, but that God is far more interested in his soul being healed rather than his body being healed. And on that day in their living room, both Rick and Carol Williams gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. After we had prayed and they had received Christ, I said, now I would like to pray for you again. And I would like to pray that God would bring healing even from this disease. The amyloidosis had caused him to not even be able to sit for more than a few moments. Then he would have to go lay down. He could not walk to the end of his driveway to even check the mail. We prayed and nothing happened. At least that's what I thought. <laughs> Later that evening... They decided, you know, let's, let's go to the beach. Normally, he would just ride in the passenger seat, lay down in the seat so that he didn't have to worry about the pain. He said, you know what? I feel like driving. Can I drive tonight? Carol said, sure. Figured it'd last a few miles. They made it all the way to Bethany Beach, and he was driving. They got there, and he said, I feel amazing. Rick would literally become a living testament to the 
healing power of God. Every time a doctor came to him and said, we don't understand this, we've never seen someone recover. His response was always, Jesus Christ touched my body and I have been healed. I know that we serve a God who is still able to do that which seems impossible. And it still ought to serve to confirm that the word of God is true. Repent and be baptized to know that there is salvation that is made available. You know, sometimes I believe that we have the right message, but we have forgotten that we also have the power of God that is available to us. We have tapped into the message of forgiveness, but do you know the power of God is made available to us as well? It's not just for physical healings. There are individuals who are part of this church every week who have experienced the healing and the cleansing that only God can grant. We have a young lady who attends our second service faithfully. Her name is Hannah, and she gave me permission to share. Before she came to this church, she struggled with cutting on a constant basis, almost a daily basis. This past week, she celebrated two years of being clean, not cutting a single time. Last week, Jonathan stood up and preached And I'll guarantee you, seven years ago, I never would have imagined seeing Jonathan in a pulpit here. But God has done a miraculous work. Tim has become an incredible example of love and grace to the people in this community as they see someone who is very different than who he used to be. See, the thing is, God is still all-powerful, and he's still able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. None of that has changed. The question is, do we believe that he's still able to do it? I would suggest to you today that every one of you who has received Christ is an example of the miraculous work of God. Because prior to you receiving Christ, you were destined for hell, and he has miraculously changed that. Every one of us ought to know that his miracle power is available. Will you become a living testament to the power of God to change people's lives? I believe that that's what God has called each of us to do. Maybe yours is physical, maybe it's not. Maybe it's spiritual, maybe it's addictive, maybe it's a relationship, I don't know what it is. Will you become the living testament of God to change people's lives, the people were in awe over the miraculous work that God had done. Will they be in awe of you? The work that God is doing in you? If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we know that you are an almighty God who is able to do things that we could not even imagine, we never even thought possible. Father, as we come before you today, we don't know why you choose to perform certain miracles. But I know that each individual in this room who has received your grace is a walking miracle. Father, I pray that you would allow the world around us to see the transforming power of God in us. Father, I pray that you would help us to become walking, living testaments to the almighty, powerful God who saved us and redeemed us. Some of us today need a physical touch. And I pray that you would 
grant that physical touch. Provide healing. Not so that we can somehow get credit for what's taking place. Lord, I pray that you would provide healing so that the rest of the world will know that you are God. You have revealed yourself to us on so many occasions. You don't have to do anything else. We already know the greatest miracle that ever took place was when your son rose again from the dead. You have already given us more than we could ever truly deserve. But we come before you now and we simply ask that you would allow us to be your living testaments. Allow us to show the world that our God is not dead, but that he is still alive and he is still working miracles in our midst and he desires to work in theirs as well. Pour out your spirit on us and allow us to speak boldly even as Peter did on this day. May you be honored in us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Hey, I do want, and I know my time has passed, uh, but I do want to just mention, God will not always do things the way you want him to. Some will think that he is like a genie in a bottle where if I ask him, he has to do things as I command of him. It doesn't work that way. Even the, you remember the story where Peter and John touched a man, he was asking for money and Peter said, silver or gold, we do not have, but what I have, I give freely in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. That was a great event, but I want you to recognize where that was. That was in front of the temple gate, the same place where Jesus had walked on many occasions, which means that that guy was probably sitting there on an occasion when Jesus was walking by. Just because someone wants something doesn't mean it's going to happen. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is not yet. Sometimes it's yes. But God is smarter than we are, and he knows more than we ever could. I just know he's my only hope. I got a lot more hope in him than I got in any doctors, nurses, or anybody else. Go to your doctors, go to your nurses, take your medication. Don't get me wrong, but know that he is your hope, and he is the one who can do more than we could ever ask. Thank you for being with us this morning, and go in peace.